Good morning. This is Bakes, Kevin Baker with Bakes Takes. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to my YouTube channel. I obviously record the audio, but then the uh, the charts that back up what I talk about is on the YouTube channel. I do this mainly for my two sons, and uh, uh, they were asking me investment questions while they were business uh, majors in college. It expanded to their friends, and now it's expanding to you. So I hope you find it useful. I hope you find it helpful. I try to, in half an hour or less every week, distill all the things that I read and listen to over the course of the week and deliver it to you in a concise manner. I hope I take the complex, bring it down to the simple, and let's get right into it, okay? Uh, this week on the first chart is the S&P 500, and uh, it's been a impressive to some rally, a bear market rally to me. And so what I've seen is the market go down 33% in 34 days, and then it bounces, and I say bounce because the volume on the up days is lower than the volume on the down days. The decline was much more volume heavy than this subsequent bounce. And I might be picking nits, but I've, been, I've seen this a long, uh, you know, many, many times. And uh, until you have a big break above 300 on big volume on the SPY, the S&P 500 ETF, I'm skeptical, so for what it's worth. Now, I want to talk about, about resistance and support, and you might want to think about them as ceilings and floors. If you look at the chart, you look back to August, and there's these, these all these people that have bought around 280 to 300. You see that? 280 to 300, and um, we're back there. Think about this logically. Are we better off now than we were August 19th? Are more people employed? Are they making more money? Are they feeling more aggressive? The Fed's more accommodative, so that's that's a big part of the reason. But it's still uh, going from this floor uh, down at that at that low in March up to where we are right now. It's a Fibonacci retracement if you want to get fancy, 61.8%. And it's also below the 50 and the 200-day, which are now going down. Um uh, uh, so we're, sorry, we're above the 50, but we're below the 200, which is more important, more long term. And the resistance is tough at 300. So it's been a bounce. Uh, earnings have been uh, better than expected, I think, largely. But that only includes one lousy month, March. The first two months of the quarter were pretty good. We're going to go see the second quarter. And uh, that's going to be uh, uh, tough to surprise to the upside, in my opinion. So, um, uh, you don't get too enthusiastic. I don't want to be too negative either, but it's a bounce in a, in a, a bear market right now. Uh, going to the NASDAQ 100, uh, the tech stocks have obviously worked better. The, the, the QQQs, the NASDAQ 100 has Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Netflix, and they look better. And they should because they've got fortress balance sheets. They've got free cash flow. Netflix, not so much, but we'll go into that later. Um, but... Uh, you know, they're largely, they don't have physical plants. They don't have uh, auto manufacturing and, and, and elbow-to-elbow people inside of, uh, of, of uh, food processing plants. So, of course, they acted better. And again, we've only seen one month of ad revenue you know, really impacting the, 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 uh, the Googles and, and the Facebooks of the world and what have you. Uh, a little point that, that was brought up to me, the uh, NASDAQ stocks have four symbols or more, mainly four symbols, as you see here, Apple, AAPL, etc. And the New York Stock Exchange stocks 
have one to three symbols. FB in the case of, of Facebook. Just wanted to point that out. Al Root in Barron's this week uh, brings this into perspective. He looks at the top 10 stocks. That includes the ones I just mentioned, mainly tech stocks. And uh, fantastic companies, fantastic businesses, but expensive stocks. And there's two things. There's businesses and there's stocks. And the stocks are trading at 47 times estimated 2020 earnings on average, according to Al and, and all the, the estimates that, uh, estimates that are out there. And uh, that's not cheap. So there's just no two, way, two ways about it. So um, you know, be a little careful out there to, get, to extrapolate too much. I've been saying for a while the economy is not the stock market and vice versa. And The Economist has a full-page story on, uh, on this to, to back me up. Uh, 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 President Trump is probably the only person predicting a, uh, a V recovery, and I think that that probably makes sense. He has political reasons. I don't think he really believes it, but he sure as heck is saying it. He talks repeatedly about uh, pent-up demand, and uh, we'll see. But I am, uh, I am skeptical. Powell skeptical. Fauci is skeptical. You get the idea. Um, everyone else in the world showed you a horrific chart of unemployment screaming to the upside. Uh, 4 to 16 percent, the highest since records began in 1948. You don't need to see another horrific chart from me. But the, the government put the economy in a coma. They told us to stay home, and they basically said, file unemployment, and we'll try and get you through these next two months, and we'll see you later. So th- this can't be a big surprise. So the fact that the stock market is up in this, this heavily discounted number that comes up, I don't think is surprising in, in the least. How we go from here, I think that's way more important. Um, the Fed said it would buy corporates, including junk bonds. And what that did was that that stabilized the the corporate bond market and allowed companies to access liquidity, sell bonds, borrow money, and um, uh, and they certainly have have uh, followed through. Cor- companies have issued five hundred and sixty billion dollars in debt. Even the cruise lines, even though they have to pay nine, ten, eleven percent. Uh, on CNBC yesterday, they talked about United Airlines having to pull an 11% bond offering because they couldn't find demand at that level. So uh, it's better, but it's not good. Uh, obviously, The Economist is a British magazine. I like that because it gives a different perspective, not uh, often friendly to the U.S., but so be it. We can take it. Uh, British and European stocks, much more sluggish. Why? Uh, they don't have Apples and Amazons and Googles. They have BMW and Deutsche Bank and, and Total, car making, banking, and energy. So if you look at their chart, and that's in the, in the, uh, uh, in the notes and up on the screen, uh, the, the bounce is, um, is much less I- impressive. And I want to just read this, and I don't like to do this too often, but this is the last paragraph, and I think it kind of sums up things really, really well as I try to deliver value in short periods of time. For now, equity investors judge that the Fed has their back, but the mood of the markets can shift suddenly as an extraordinarily couple of months has proved. A one-month bear market scarcely seems enough time to absorb all the possible bad news from the pandemic and the huge uncertainty it has created. This stock market drama has a few more acts yet. And I've mentioned this before, the, 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 the thought that we can go up for 11 years and be done with this bear process 
in two months, especially given going, what's going on with coronavirus and the shutdown and what have you. Uh, I just think that, that more uh, churning at least has to happen as we repair the damage that has happened to the stock market. Uh, the Farcast. Uh, Michael Farr runs a great podcast uh, out of Washington, D.C. He manages money. And I thought this was fascinating, and I, I want your help, please. What are you seeing out there? Michael talks to, I think, Dan Mahaffey. It might be somebody else. I'm sorry I didn't put it in my, in my notes. But he has anecdotes of uh, Georgia, with much fanfare, opening up their economy, having two people walk into a restaurant in a day. Then he segues to... I'm here in Naples, and it looks like we're back to normal. Uh, no masks on the servers, no masks on the customers. Uh, please tell me what you're seeing. I would love to know where you are and, and what kind of on-the-ground experiences you're having. Uh, I think it would be very, very helpful. I'm going to enlist your help on something else later, too, by the way. Uh, Howard Marks was on Tim, the Tim Ferriss Show. Uh, Tim Ferriss is not a business show, so to have Howard Marks the distressed uh, investor genius, in my opinion, very successful, a billionaire from Oak Tree. His memos are legendary. He's been writing them for 30 years. And the whole podcast is worthwhile. But here again, I'm trying to pinpoint for you. You go to the last five minutes and he asks a really great question. What's your time frame? And be honest with yourself. What's your time frame? If it's five years, Howard and I think you'll be okay and will be okay. The economy, the stock market, etc. But if you'll watch your portfolio every day and get upset when the stock market is down, then become more defensive. There's nothing wrong with that. And let's face it, uh, that's most of us. The, the true long-term investors, I've met 11 of you uh, out of 330 million Americans. Uh, true committed long-term investors are rare who are not going to open statements, are not going to watch CNBC. I've been in countless 19th holes with people that make more money than God and have more money than God, and CNBC scares the heck out of them. The ticker on the bottom when it starts showing a lots of red is terrifying, especially when the corresponding news involves deaths and cases all the time. So uh, he closes. So I go back to my September presentation. It's up on the YouTube channel. I've lost some weight since then, so so bear with me. Um, uh, I simply said that we haven't seen what we, these 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 uh, stock market and, and interest rate machinations before, and that owning a little more cash and a little more gold in your asset allocation makes some sense. So let's say cash and gold were five and five percent, you take them to 10 and 10, something like that, your decision, and, and it's obviously up to your situation. But I just think that makes sense so that you can so you can sleep better, period. Um, full disclosure, uh, I have con confirmation bias like everyone else. Howard talks about it and, it, you know, the, the desire to seek out information that bolster our arguments and our thesis. So I have it. We all do. That's where we go. And I try to fight it. I really do. Like this next one. Uh, Jason Gobefort uh, on Twitter uh, points to the AAII uh, data that show 52% uh, of, of the uh, respondents were bearish. This is the American Institute for Institutional uh, Individual Investors. I'm getting the acronym wrong, but you get the idea. Um, uh, and the only times we've seen 40% plus bearish on this uh, indicator are December 90 
and April of 09. Those are good times to buy stocks. I can't, you know, uh, the bottom was was uh, uh, March of 09, March 9th of 09, if I recall correctly. So when it's a contrary indicator, when people are overly bearish, you might want to be leaning the other way. That might mean you get this rally that we've seen, or you might get more. But I just have to point out that sentiment has been dampened to the extent where it might be meaningful. Uh, Barron's' pack past week talks about uh, uh, this is Randall Forsyth who wrote this. And uh, I think it's important because people say, well, stocks aren't that expensive because of the dividend yield. The dividend yield right now on the S&P is 2.07. On the 10-year, it's 70 basis points, depending on the day. So he says that the dividend yield on the S&P 500 looks absolutely lush by comparison. I agree with that. Then he goes on to talk to Barclays, uh, Manish Deshpande. I hope I pronounced that right. And he's calling for dividend cuts that are, are typical in uh, recessions like this of 17 to 22%. So the 207 might be 20% plus uh, less than that when all this shakes out. And the relative valuation disparity might not be as great as people think. So uh, please keep an eye on that. Barron's also talks about, uh, this is an article by Lisa Bielfuss. Again, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, just brings up a, a point that I think we all know, but I think it's worth remembering. After all, not even the central bank can fully make up for the goods and services customers can't or won't buy. So the Fed's accommodative. It's helpful, but are you buying a new car next year? Are you buying a bigger house next year? Are you buying more furniture next year? And uh, the revenues and earnings that those companies rely on might not be showing up. And I kind of call it a tug of war. Jack Scott on Twitter, please look at the uh, 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 you know the chart that he supplies. Uh, going back to 1870, the uh, P.E. ratio is 29.6%. It's a Crestmont P.E. ratio. I confess I didn't look up what exactly how they calculate that. But bottom line is it's about as high as it gets, 97th percentile. And apparently the Fed wants stocks to go up, and that is all you need to know. So it's the reality of today, what the Fed's doing, and how this works out in the middle. That's the tug of war, and I want you to win the tug of war. And, um, but I just want you to be cognizant of uh, these dynamics. Also on, the, on the, uh, the chart that he accompanies, I, I want you to start looking for prior peaks and troughs. When you see an indicator that, that, that rises to, that corresponds with stock market peaks, and then corresponding stock market troughs like this does, when you're in an area of elevation, I just think it makes sense to say it's not a pinpoint, but it shows where you are. So just be aware that, yes, you can make more money, but when we've been here before, we get it's close to stock market highs. So, and here's another one. Uh, 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 Tavi Costa, also on Twitter, talks about growth versus value. And it's the same thing. We're back to 99, 2000 kind of levels on growth versus value. And that isn't uh, uh, stock market bottom behavior. That's stock market top behavior. Jesse Felder on Twitter. Uh, another one, May 8th. Uh, uh, expensive stocks are now 12 times more expensive than the cheap stocks. And uh, that's a historical peak as well. 
from, um, you know, that we've just eclipsed the 0708 uh, level. Uh, I mentioned before, I'd like to have your help sort of crowdsourcing ideas. Like I asked you about the uh, what you're seeing in your in your neck of the woods to, to steal Al, Al Roker's line. Um, uh, I've been talking about shorting the MSCI emerging. Mar- Sorry, it's already short. So buying the short emerging market index, uh, the pro shares. And I'd love your thoughts. I'd love your insights. Uh, I think it's intriguing. It, um, uh, they don't have the the the, the Fed that's going to buttress them. It is forty um, percent uh, China, twelve percent Taiwan, twelve percent Korea. Uh, Alibaba, Tencent, and Taiwan Semi are the biggest names uh, in the in the uh, index in the ETF. And if you live or work there, you know people that do. You have any sort of anecdotes that you can share? I would be uh, I'd be fascinated. Uh, that's what I have this week. Please subscribe, review, and share my Bakes Takes podcast on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred platform. Please also subscribe to my Bakes Takes YouTube channel. The audio is the same, but the charts that I reference are on the screen. Follow us on Twitter at Bakes Takes underscore and other social media. Please use your voice memo app. Tape your questions and email to bakes at bakestakespodcast.com or write if you prefer. I'll keep it anonymous if you'd like. Thank you for listening. Mike Wilson is my producer. Have a great week. This is Bakes. And with much-needed levity, John Panette, who regrettably passed away a couple of years ago, but a hilarious bit that he does, Italian restaurant. Uh, Please enjoy. See you next week. Bye now. I worked in France for three months, in Nice, the south of France. I enjoyed it. Uh, France is not like Montreal. It is, it is very different. Uh, Montreal has is, uh, is a uniqueness to it. Uh, you can learn French here. Uh, you can speak English. In Nice, I stayed at a five-star hotel. And I went to the concierge and I said, excuse me, do you know where I can get some breakfast? Je ne comprends pas, monsieur. You know what I'm saying! You're watching CNN in English. Where's breakfast? but don't expect Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast to be there when you get off the plane, be our guest. (laughs) We went to French bistros every night, and I was dying for Italian food. I I, I love some French food, but uh, too much with... with, I I don't eat seafood. There's a lot of salad. And I was all like omeletted out and, and pum frites. I don't want to say another pum frites. Dying, I'm telling everybody, do you know where there's an Italian restaurant? Do you, I'm dying for Italian food. Nobody said anything. About six weeks into the shoot, we're at a bistro, and I say, I would love Italian food. Somebody that we've been with for six weeks says, well, we're only a 45-minute drive to Italy from here. Why don't we go there? <laughs> Yes, why don't we do that? (laughs) I'll kill you later, because I need directions. (laughs) Get in the car! I'm eating pump freights and went down the street from the motherland! (laughs) 45-minute drive took me 11 minutes. I could have ran it in 45. (laughs)
got a kick out of me in Italy. Oh, yeah. I speak a little Italian. I can say, feed me, I'm hungry. It's sono affamato. I can say it in 27 languages. I can write it in hieroglyphics if I have to. If I go back in a time machine, I want to be covered. And we went to this little mom and pop restaurant. The waiter's name was Luigi, he was also the owner. In Italy, there's no such thing as an all-you-can-eat buffet. That's just the way it is. And I said, Luigi, sono affumato. Eh, look at you, huh? He's a sono affumato, sono affumato. Giuseppe, come in here. Say it to Giuseppe. Say, say it. Sono affumato. Look at you, huh? said, I'm dying of hunger. It's morta de fame. Morta de fame. We're gonna feed you, you're gonna explode all over the wall. I said, could we order? He said, no. First, we're gonna bring out some food. And that's when I heard the angels. Oh. I thought it was going to bring out like an antipasto. He brought out antipasto, fried calamari, potato and gnocchi, pollo vodostano, eggplant milanese. And he says, now we come, we take your order. You're not scaring me. They brought out food for hours. We were fighting amongst ourselves. Stop ordering. This is enough. I didn't order this. I didn't order this either. They're just bringing out stuff. Let's get out of here. We had a friend with us, Timmy. He was too skinny. We should have known. He shouldn't have come. Halfway through the meal, he died. And they kept on trying to feed him. They were smacking him. What's the matter? You don't like it? He's dead. Pass that over here. always eat when I'm sad. The, the third hour, you know how when you fool you and buckle your pants a little bit? Well, mine were down around my ankles. And they were chasing me with cannolis. They were gonna kill me like they killed Timmy. But I got out of there. Wasn't it?